1: Every company is wanting faster innovation, faster innovation so we can get those products that customers love out into their hands. But yet, they often don't have systems to do that. They actually have systems that sometimes slow down and limit innovation. The framework and systems needed are a topic of a new book written by our guest, Catherine Radica, entitled High Velocity Innovation, How to Get Your Best Ideas to Market Faster. The forward to the book was written by Senior Vice President of Product Design and Engineering at Keurig, Dr. Pepper, who shared that this book is for you if you strive for more relevant innovation or want to outpace your competition. Okay, who doesn't? And that's a good endorsement. And in our discussion, Catherine shares her innovation framework to make that happen. And remember, we take the notes for you. If you hear something, find a summary of that discussion, of everything we talk about in the show notes at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 250. Now let's talk to Catherine. Catherine, thanks for joining the Everyday Innovators. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. You got up very early for this because you're doing work in New Zealand right now, and I appreciate you making time to talk about your new book, which for those watching on video, I have a copy right here. You have a framework for innovation called High Velocity Innovation, which happens to match the title of the book. Mm -hmm. And the subtitle I love, How to Get Your Best Ideas to Market Faster. I love that because I'm sure just as you've been talking with companies, as you help them, this is one of the key pain points, wanting to try to get it products is. into the marketplace more quickly. Great title there. I was wondering if we could start off with an example of just how you've applied this work to a company.
0: Okay. So a couple of weeks ago, I visited SunPower, which is the company that's featured in In the book, it's in the middle of the book. I think it's in Chapter Uh 7. And uh, SunPower, of course, is a solar energy company uh, known for making very high-efficiency solar energy panels. And they just released this month, in fact, a new uh, solar energy panel called Maxon 5. It's it's a larger um, solar cell that's more efficient. And it's not just the cell, it's, it's an entire family of products that have been built up from the cell, and the panels to the installation process, to um, all of the control systems and things around that. And that that program um, was developed using their their product development process, which at this point has been infused with the principles from high-velocity innovation. And um, Celia Ching, who's the head of their program management office there, was talking to me about the fact that um, this has enabled them to recognize which decisions they are making um need to be made uh because uh, and need to be made very well because they will not be able to be revisited huh. later and when they need these decisions to be made so she shared an example of well so if these are basically um semiconductor products so some of their equipment has very long lead times it needs to be decided very early but then things like channel partners and strategies can be decided much much later huh. um, and we should give the market more time to evolve and mature so that they can make better, wiser decisions around those things. And that that, especially for this program, with all of its complexity, that the ability to recognize when decisions need to be made and have good conversations around those decisions um, using a much more knowledge driven decision making process has really helped them accelerate development of this program.
1: That's a great asset of your framework, right? It's just, it mm-hmm. sounds pretty simple. I think when people hear that, it's like, we need to know when to make decisions, what what decisions need to be made at what time. But a lot of companies really struggle with this and we kind of get wrapped around the the wheel bit. They,
0: they do. And they do because, you know, kind of we, um, you know, kind of as human beings, we want to get closure on things. And mm-hmm. especially the people that are attracted to product development roles, we want to get closure on things. And we think that by making decisions, we've actually done something, Right. But the problem is that a lot of our processes and a lot of the ways that we naturally think will drive us to make decisions too early, hmm. before we have the knowledge we need to make those decisions in the best way, right. and then that um, allows and then and then we have to go back and revisit those decisions later when our assumptions behind those decisions don't prove true, right. and so um, and and that's you know kind of the root cause why a lot of innovation programs get stuck and why uh, why they tend to fail in execution is because they. You know, we make all these decisions early and then, um, you know, and then the real knowledge starts to come in and and then the rework loops can be paralyzing for teams.
1: This happens a lot in meetings all the time, right? We, we think we talk about a decision. We want to revisit that in the next meeting and the next meeting and things just mm-hmm. don't really get done.
0: And that's exactly right. And for me, that's a sign that that decision is not being made at the right time with right. the right people with the right knowledge. Because if it was, then you wouldn't keep coming up.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, I have my two hats on. I I help companies with product management and innovation management. Mm -hmm. I also teach the same concepts in a few universities. Uh And the same thing with the students, you know, if it's an eight-week course, in week one, they're talking about the final project that's due in week eight, where we're just, Mm -hmm. we're not far along yet to really even be thinking about it because you haven't learned what you need to think about the final project yet, right? That's right. It's like, you got to just do things at the right time. Mm -hmm. I think we can all all relate to that well. Mm -hmm. Talk about the roots of the system. So we'll get into the framework here in a moment, but what kind of fed into it?
0: So if you'd asked me what I was doing 10 years ago, I would have told you I was a lean product development consultant. And by that, I would mean that I was doing work that was based on um, the research done at the University of Michigan into Toyota's product development practices, okay. um, just as lean manufacturing is rooted in studies of Toyota's manufacturing processes. Uh-huh. And, um, Toyota had done some things there that were very innovative, um, but translating those concepts um, proved to be a lot more difficult in product development than it did in manufacturing. And um, But the key core of it, the key thing that Toyota did differently that did enable them to get cars to market a lot faster than their peers, was around the fact that they um, had this knowledge... A knowledge library that they consciously created, and a knowledge system for ensuring that that knowledge got captured, shared, and used um, throughout the organization. Very okay. strong platform strategies uh-huh. is one manifestation of that. And um, and and that was the part of lean product development that was actually making a difference for the companies that I was working with. And then there was a whole lot of other stuff that wasn't really moving the needle. And so um, what happened for me then is um, I also have a background in Agile because my when I was at Hewlett Packard, I was basically doing software uh-huh. development, and software development management, and we were working with some of the early versions of Agile. Um, I was part of a group called the E-Services Inside Factory, and we were running you know early version of Agile in our um, programs. And so I had that in my background, too. So then what happened was that four different companies uh, came to me at about the same time and said, well, can we use some ideas from Lean and Agile to help improve the fuzzy front end of product development? Um, can, we, can we use it to help us get our products to market faster? Uh-huh. Can we use it to help ensure that we're getting the right products to the market, that our products are going to actually be successful in the market? And those four companies were Whirlpool and Steelcase in the United States and Novazymes and Nova Nordisk in Denmark. And um, for those of you who don't know, Novozymes is a biotech company that makes um, enzymes. Uh-huh. And um, Novo Nordisk is a pharma company focused on diabetes treatment. And so, you know, a wide variety of industries there, everything from appliances to, you know, um, to pharma. Right. And, you know, looking at this problem from different perspectives. So I was flying around between these different companies and we would try something at one of those companies and we would see how it worked. And then we would try um, that plus something else at a different company and we would see how that worked. And um, I never brought the companies together. I was under NDA with all the companies. I couldn't really talk about what exactly I was doing with each of those companies. But kind of by that swirling around among all those, those different okay. projects we were working with, the roots of the rapid learning cycle framework emerged. And it emerged by um, thinking very consciously about, okay, where are, is Agile working and where are the assumptions of Agile breaking down? what is the contribution that the knowledge-based development side of Lean can bring to this? Because we know that that can help accelerate and improve decision-making. And then what else do we need? And one of the things we needed was the idea of a core hypothesis. That comes from the work of Eric Reese and Steve Blank in the Lean Startup Space, the idea that every product really is a hypothesis you Uh have to test. And and some other ideas around um, how do we effectively capture knowledge so that it's easily leveraged into families of products later on. And so, um, and so that was the roots of the framework and kind of how all that came together.
1: Okay. So from that Toyota production system, the, the lean development work that came out of that, the agile world, that merged along with your experience, what you were doing mm-hmm. at Hewlett Packard, and then on to these other companies. So tested through you know, some real world practicalities involved here. Yeah,
0: exactly.
1: Yeah, love all that.
0: Hey, Dad, I was just thinking about your book. What's its title?
1: Turning Ideas into Market-Winning Products.
0: Is that about alchemy?
1: (laughs) Okay, that's an interesting question. It's kind of, I guess. It's actually about how we find insights, that we uncover problems, come across ideas, these unmet needs that customers have, that we can then turn into some product or service that creates new value for them in a way that really is different than others. That's market-winning products.
0: So why did you recently make a second edition?
1: Well, the first one was a few years ago, and recently AIPMM, that's the Association of International Product Marketers and Managers, contacted me about providing that original book to some of the people that are earning uh, their certification. And I said, that'd be great, would be glad to help out with that. And that was a good opportunity to update the book and bring in some new information.
0: Okay, so where can people get your book?
1: Well, it's on Amazon, of course, but even more importantly... They can find many of the key concepts for free in my online course.
0: If you're selling the book, why are you giving away a free course?
1: Because I really do want to help as many product managers as I can have this notion of what it takes to make market-winning products, to take ideas and turn them into products that customers love.
0: Okay, I get it. Where can product managers get the free
1: course? That's easy. You can just go to the everydayinnovator.com slash book and sign up for the free mini course. Easy to do and you'll get these little lessons that just come into your email box.
0: Are you sure it's not about alchemy?
1: (laughs) (laughs) The framework, do you think equally applicable across across those uh, types of industries or do you find it more helpful for what you're doing now and something that contains a physical aspect as well?
0: The big difference with a company that's a software-based company is that they will probably be using Azure instead of Rapid Learning Cycles as the center of the framework right. because Agile really is the framework for doing innovation in the software space for the most part. Now, I work with companies that are building software, you know, say that go inside medical devices that needs to be a lot more fault tolerant and can't be as easily changed. Uh-huh. And they are not using Agile because the assumptions of Agile break down in that space too. Um, but, you know, certainly if you're, um, you know, say executing a new digital strategy um, for your company and you're beginning to build connectivity into your devices, for example, um, the hardware part of that is something where you're going to be making decisions that are going to be difficult to change later once you've got Mm -hmm. something out in the field that's out in the field. Um, But the software side of that, the user interface and what exactly the consumer can do with the, the device and how they're going to interact with the device. That is something that is best developed in an agile framework. Uh-huh. That said, the rest of it still applies, which means you still need to be able to have a strategy that's going to pull innovation from the people, from your people. You still need to have cross-functional team structures and innovation leaders that know how to work well, cross-functionally. And you still need to have good metrics that incentivize innovation. Uh-huh. And you still need to have the ability to capture what you learn about your customers and your markets, even though, um, the technology and software is really captured in the code itself.
1: Okay, I appreciate the where this can be applied and how it might, might be tweaked a little bit. And mm-hmm. the, there's a lot of aspects and you just kind of listed through them, right? In the book, talking about strategy and team and management metrics and like. A key mm-hmm. one you've mentioned a couple of times is this rapid learning cycles. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is probably a good time to describe that. It seems to be the heart of the framework here and how that really takes shape.
0: It is the heart of the framework. It's designed for areas out in the world at uh, mm-hmm. kinds of programs that have both high uncertainty and high cost of change in a high like uncertainty. None
1: of us deal with that. No,
0: like, <laughs> like, exactly. Any, anyone dealing with a tangible product of product, you know, a, a physical product, you know, is in this space and mm-hmm. is in the space Because, and you know, until we actually get these magic 3D replicators, you know, we're going to have production process. We're going to have inventory management issues, supply chain, Uh distribution challenges. We're going to have to be supporting these products in the field. And that means that the decisions that we make in product development and for those kinds of products are not easily changed like they are on the software side. Uh And so so the Rapid Learning Cycles framework is um, intended to help teams understand what decisions they need to make when they need to make those decisions, who need to be involved in making those decisions, and what knowledge they need to make those decisions with confidence. And what we're doing with the framework is we're pulling the learning about those decisions early and we're pushing those decisions later. And so by um, pulling learning early, then we are giving ourselves a lot more time to build richer, better knowledge. By pushing those decisions later, we're allowing time for new information to emerge, right? And so another company I visited recently is a company Sonian. Uh, Sonian is based in the Netherlands. They make hearing aid components, and that um, that company um, he was describing to me, um, they were making they they've been working on making um, um, some new microphone. Uh, uh, for a pro audio application, right? And right now they make their, their base market is hearing aids. They understand, um, the hearing of people with hearing loss very well. They understand how to, how to optimize the microphones and receivers for that population. Uh Well, they've built up a library of knowledge that then they're able to leverage into this space around pro audio. But in order to do that, they've got to learn a lot about the differences between that population Uh of users. And, you know, versus a person with hearing impairment and how that person approaches sound. So you're going from a person for whom, you know, sound is, you know, a disability, you know, their ability. And and so and so they tend to be more visual and they tend to process information and, you know, uh, without using sound to a population that's very auditory focused and very um, interested in 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 processing sound and and needing to understand those differences. Uh So, um, you know, figuring out from a technology perspective, the key decisions they need to make around the technology, how can they maximize the amount of time they have to learn about the pro space before they have to make those decisions?
1: Okay. Is this a generic framework? And I mean, generic, not, not to say it's not valuable, right? But generic in the sense of helping you understand that you do need to think in the future forward about what these cycles are and when you might need information to make those decisions, or do you mm-hmm. spell out actual questions that need to be brought to the table through a innovation cycle.
0: Okay, so we tend to—I've, in my experience, found that most teams can think about six months ahead, and mm-hmm. anything beyond that is really speculative and not um, usually all that interesting. There are some industries that are exceptions, but in general, that's mm-hmm. the rule. So that's how where we focus. We say, what do you need to think about over the next six months to hit your next major okay, technical something. milestone or your next major phase yeah. gate? And we're going to focus the questions you're going to ask around what you need to know to be ready for that
1: okay, so so you look at what it what do we need to accomplish in the next chunk of time, say six months, mm-hmm. then what mm-hmm. is it that we will need to understand to be able to accomplish that? Mm-hmm. What decisions does that go along with that, and then that implies what kind of research what what' is our hypotheses that we think we need to test, what assumptions might we be making? Right. And so we kind of work that's backwards right. from the goal. That, that's right. Okay. That's right.
0: And, and unlike in an agile software framework, what you, you also need to have a little bit of high level schedule so that you know what decisions are going to follow in at mm-hmm. the six month one and which ones you can worry about later. Okay. Um, and, uh, because, um, I, what it's, one of the big differences from this versus agile is that, um, most agile methods you have a backlog you're working off of right. and you're basically choosing every cycle, what you're going to work on from that backlog. And we can't do that, um, in in the f- with physical products, if we do that, then the team loses track of their big picture and what they really need to get done in order to get, actually get the product out the door on time. And so, um, we maintain a high level schedule to help us understand that, and then focus on defining what we call key decisions and knowledge gaps for mm-hmm. that six month window that we're facing right now.
1: Okay, key decisions and knowledge gaps. It's a good way to summarize that. You have coined mm-hmm. that well. Okay, so for these key decisions knowledge gaps, you contrast that a little bit with like the sprint philosophy, right? So we have our backlog, our requirements of what we think we're going to do, which ones we're going to tackle, say, in the next two weeks, and then reflect on what we're going to tackle in the next two weeks. In this environment, we know where we want to end up in, this, in six months, and we're still chunking work in a sense. Um, can you just talk a little bit more about what the what the similarities are and the differences are between what a lot of us you know are familiar with with sprints and what that looks like?
0: Okay, so the key difference one of the major difference is that the nature of work is different, and by that I mean that in a software an agile software organization they're going to be focusing on um, building user stories, which are basically building pieces of code now that may be to do something specific now a user may or may not directly interact with that it could be you know, something that's actually happening, you know, deeper in the system. But nevertheless, what they're doing is they're saying that the software needs to do something specific. I'm going to write the code to get it to do that specific thing. I'm going to write the test to get it to do that specific thing. And then at the end, I'm going to demonstrate that it can indeed do that specific thing. Okay. Um, Harder to do that in the hardware space, right? right? So you know, you think about your car. Well, one use case for the car is you're going to turn it on, okay? So that requires the ignition system. It requires the the, the pedals. It requires the, um, the the key the keying system to be there. You know, there' a lot much more. The system has to be there, and you can't just build it overnight, right? And so um, we focus instead on on the on the learning. What I need to do to uh, to learn what I need to learn to make these decisions. So. One of the ways this comes out is in what happens at the end of these cycles. So, at the end of a sprint, a software team is going to come together and they're going to demo what they've done with the software. They're going to get feedback on that and then make plans to adjust it based on that feedback. Uh-huh. A group that's running rapid learning cycles are going to come together. They're going to share what they've learned. Um, you know, they're going to talk about you know who they you know what they learned from interviewing customers or what they learned from running experiments in the lab, um, and they're going to focus all of their discussion around okay, here's what I learned in this cycle. And so here's what I need to learn in the next cycle so that when I get to the next major decision point, we're ready to make those decisions with greater confidence.
1: Good. One of the ways I'm wired, I I try to pay attention and listen to things that sound like first principles to me. Mm -hmm. And a a first principle that I caught that was in that, and I think this is a gem for listeners to hang on to, is to think about that decision that needs to be made. We know where we're going, right? So we can start thinking about the key decisions that will impact reaching that objective. Mm-hmm. And then take one of those decisions and back up to okay to make that decision what do we need to learn? Mm-hmm. And so that kind of that first principle of we need to make a decision what do we need to learn first before we can actually make that decision. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's a core part of what we're talking about here by the nature of what we're talking about reflective then and rapid learning cycles, right?
0: That's right. And so then what happens is that these groups are making these decisions with greater confidence. They're not having to revisit these decisions mm-hmm during the execution phases when it's very expensive to revisit these decisions um, and very costly in terms of delays uh, to make these decisions. And so they arrive at the point where they begin executing these decisions with much higher confidence. Uh And that's what they tell me over and over again, the groups that are using rapid learning cycles. It's given us greater confidence to push the boundaries on the technology, to go after riskier ideas, to go after things that are more innovative because we know that we can – we can figure out what we need to learn in order to mm. either decide this is a good idea or not. And then if it is to to get it into through the execution phases without, um, you know, um, on a reasonable schedule with a reasonable amount of time.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of confidence that just comes through learning how to ask better questions. Right. And, yes. and, and being able mm-hmm. to analyze a problem and know that we can ask better questions to help figure out what we need to. Mm hmm. Okay, good. Like all this, um, your book starts with a section on strategy, which I think is always a really important place to ground any kind of innovation project. And sometimes we just get out of alignment, right? We get out of alignment with what we think the project is about. And we kind of lose track of what the organizational strategic objectives may be. And usually we're better off if those things are aligned, there might be times that we want to break out out of that. But talk about how strategy impacts you know, what we do in innovation projects.
0: Okay. So the most important thing that strategy does for innovation is it helps pull the right innovation out of the organization. Um, what's a strategy, uh, you know, well communicated strategy does is it says to the organization, this is who we are. This is how we're going to play in our markets. This is how we're going to win. And that tells the people in the organization what to be looking for. It's like it tunes their conceptual filters to be looking for the right thing. Um, you know, so for example, with Sony and the decision to go into Pro Audio means that they have got their entire team tuned towards looking for opportunities to do that, looking mm-hmm. for opportunities with the stuff that they work with. to say, oh, you know, well, maybe we could do a, make this adjustment in this way, and then that would help make this a better product for that market. So you've kind of got everybody out there looking, and they know what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. And I call that that sense of, 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 What happens with a good strategy is this: is that it pulls from the organization, P U L L S pulls, Um, because it's kind of like when you take, um, you stick a a fork into spaghetti and then you pull out the spaghetti and it pulls all the strands into alignment. It it kind of that's what a good strategy does for an organization. Um, You know, it says this is what we're looking for. This is what you know. This is what we're paying attention to, and that helps everyone. Um, when they're when they're creative, when they're thinking about new ideas, it helps them think about the ideas the organization needs.
1: Yeah. Along with strategy, I think about vision and the vision being a description of where the organization is going, what we want to become. Mm-hmm. And for that hearing aid company, I can imagine employees in the hearing aid company looking at, you know, we're really good at developing hearing aids and responding to the needs of people that are challenged with being able to hear. Now we're looking at taking that technology and moving to pro audio that that seems might be inconsistent with mission without having also established a clear vision for what this organization wants to be, right, and reflective of the strategy.
0: And that's that's really true. In order for them to really embrace that strategy, you know, their vision had to go from we help, you know, make lives better for people with hearing impairment mm-hmm. to we make lives better for anyone that is working with sound, you mm-hmm. know, for whom sound is important. Um, uh, and, you know, to expand that vision to include a, no- a new audience.
1: Yeah. And I think it's worth pointing out that this is also is aligned in a way that would make sense to consumers, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a big leap to go from, okay, you're really good at doing a high-quality job with audio equipment in my ear to now also helping with pro audio gear. And sometimes there's leaps that companies make because they have the technology but they move to a different market that just doesn't fit their brand at all. Mm-hmm. And that kind of strategy is just more problematic. Things usually don't work out well when we do that.
0: It, it doesn't. And then part of the reason why it doesn't, you know, kind of gets back to that idea of pull is it, like it's pulling the wrong things from the organization mm-hmm. then. and It's confusing. It's confusing for the consumers. It's also confusing for the people that are doing the work of developing and qualifying the ideas.
1: Yeah. A classic, very old example that I stumbled across I like was uh, Gillette, the disposable razor company. Really good at manufacturing processes for plastics. And they looked at how could they leverage that for new things. Then they got into the market of audio cassettes. We know how to manufacture Mm -hmm. plastics. Let's go make audio cassettes. No one thinks about Gillette as doing audio cassettes because Mm -hmm. Memorex owned that space. And Gillette got out of the space because it, it conflicted with the brand. And people were wondering why is my, my Razor company making audio cassettes, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah. maybe a rebranding would have helped with that. Okay, so really good information about how we can use these rapid learning cycles to help us focus on the decisions that are coming, back that up to the learning that we need now. What about the team? Just share a little bit, I know you cover this in the book, just a little bit about the team that is needed, the team dynamics for high-velocity innovation.
0: Okay, I think that innovation is one of the most cross functional things that an organization needs to do. Uh-huh. Um, when you're trying to bring a new idea to market, um, you need cooperation from, you know, your entire team, uh, your marketing team, your finance team, supply chain, production, um, your production partners. You know, there are um, if you're really pushing the boundaries and doing something that's never been done before, you're going to need all of those people on your right. team. Uh, and they need to be on there early. Um, a lot of people think, well, you know, we're not going to worry about production partners until later, and then they design something that can't be easily manufactured, and and therefore it's not as profitable as it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, and and that's the kind of thing that it's not that your production partners are going to tell you you can't do something, but you want your production partners to say, oh, we've got knowledge gaps around how we're going to manufacture this. Let's go off and start closing those knowledge gaps now, so that we can give guidance to the team about how to do this new thing uh-huh. in a way that we can actually produce at the volumes we need and so um and so that's one key thing about the team is it needs to be cross functional and the second is that the leader of the innovation team is really a coach, even more so than they are for other kinds of teams. So this a program manager in an innovation team is not going to be spending a ton of time managing things in Microsoft Project. In fact, if they were following my recommendations, they would never be a Microsoft project at all. Um, they would um, instead what they're going to be is they've got a lot to do with stakeholder management and they've got a lot to do with helping their teams understand here's what we need to learn. Here's how we can go off and learn it. And so, you know, the innovation leaders are the ones in your team who really need to understand tools like design thinking tools, um, tools like the the ideation toolkit. Um, The the team members don't necessarily need to know that, but the innovation leader needs to be able to guide the team um, towards understanding enough of those tools to use them effectively to help them close their knowledge gaps.
1: That's really good. For innovation teams, we're we're facing more unknowns. You started our Mm -hmm. conversation this way, right? A high uncertainty environment Mm where we know we're going to be making missteps along the way Mm -hmm. because we're learning something new, right? The picture always comes in my mind is, you know, the first time I saw my baby go from crawling to walking, right? My my little girl, Mm -hmm. right? You fall a lot when you're making that transition, right? Because you're learning and the coach is there to... Add motivation, keep people focused on how we're moving forward and what we're learning together. The environment is learning. We are accomplishing along the way, but we are learning. And part of that is just understanding we are going to make missteps as it happens.
0: Yeah, and really, especially for team members that are not um, that, that for whom innovation is not normally a part of their work, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes they think a failed experiment is a failure. Right. But an innovation coach knows no. Actually, a failed experiment is great because we learn a lot from those experiments. Exactly. And so let's make sure we capture that and and then um, figure out what we learned from it and what we're going to do with that knowledge.
1: Yeah, yeah, really good. And we, we need to remember that. And not everyone thinks the same way about failure. And this is all about learning. Excellent. As listeners know, I love quotes, uh, innovation quotes and, and related sort of quotes. I asked you to bring one. Can you share that with us and why you chose that one?
0: Okay. So the, ch- the quote that I chose is one that actually appears in the forward to my book, um, which is by Roger Johnson of Kirk, Dr. Pepper. And that quote says, um, it's easier to act your way to a new way of thinking than it is to think your way to a new way of acting. And the reason why it's one of my favorite quotes is because a lot of times people think, oh, we're not innovative, or we can't do this, or our culture is in the way, we need a new culture, we need culture change. And, um, and, and they kind of, you know, it's a bit much to say that they're using it as an excuse because it's very real for them. You know, uh-huh. they really believe that this is the stuff that's in the way for them. But what I've learned over the time is that if you want to become more innovative, the thing you need to do is to start innovating. Uh-huh. If you Want to deliver better products to market, then the thing to do is to, you know, is to is to find a product that you really want to get to market and then do the best you can to deliver that product using, you know, the practices that I outline and that others outline that's going to lead to a better product. And just, you know, despite the fact that you have all these supposed cultural barriers and supposed organizational challenges, right? right. And and by doing that, you build confidence and you demonstrate that yes, this can be done here. And um, and that is what creates a culture. Of innovation. I mean, is mm-hmm. when, when, and I, I always use the example if you were, if your kid was bad in school, you know, you wouldn't try to, you know, uh, you know, tell them just to do affirmations, you know, and say, I'm better at school, I'm better at school, right? No, you get them a tutor, and you work with them on their homework and, and recognize that they're going to believe that they're a better student when they're getting better grades, right. and probably not before.
1: And it's that the habits that go into not just thinking different, but the action, right, the, that you're emphasizing. Mm-hmm. I heard this study recently. I, I need to look up the details of this, but apparently there was an art class, and the uh, the students were in two groups. One group was told to create as, as many clay pots as you can. All that matters is quantity. Another group of students was told, create the most perfect clay pots that you can. All that matters mm-hmm. is quality, right? Mm-hmm. And so they had both groups Do the work right, and there was a fixed amount of time. And guess who had the best pots? It was Mm -hmm. the quantity group, right? The group that made the most also ended up making the most, the best ones. You know, the way I look at that study is they had the most experience, right? They got really good at making better pots as they went along because they made a lot of them.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. They figured out what worked and what didn't work yeah. by not being afraid to try stuff that wouldn't work. And then along the way, if I, oh, well, I thought that wouldn't work, but actually,
1: that was really good. Yeah.
0: You know, and, and that's the kind of stuff that we really want to encourage our innovation teams to be
1: able to do. Good. Thank, thanks for sharing that. How can people find out about your book and the work that you're doing?
0: OK, best place to go is very easy It's just highvelocityinnovation.com. I have a blog there of my own. And that's also where you can find information about my books.
1: Okay, highvelocityinnovation.com. And I assume it's on Amazon and places that we can get to, yes. and that would be excellent. Yes, if
0: any online bookseller, you can find it. Yeah.
1: Good. I'll put links in the show notes, make it easy for listeners. Catherine, thank you so much for sharing your high-velocity system here and how we can get ideas into the market more quickly, create products more quickly. And I appreciate you spending time with us.
0: Oh, you're welcome. I appreciate it. Uh, the time. Thanks.
1: Thanks again for listening to The Everyday Innovator. This is where product leaders and managers make their move to product master, learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so you'll create products customers love. You'll find the written notes of the discussion with Catherine at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 250. Keep innovating.
0: Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit the everydayinnovator.com.